Today's episode of The Razor Show is brought to you by GameTime. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Patriots tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with GameTime, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. GameTime is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download GameTime in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last-minute tickets. Welcome to The Razor Show with the Athletics' Nick Underhill and Jeff Powell, plus three-time Super Bowl champion Matt Chatham. What's up, everybody? This is The Razor Show previewing the Thursday Patriots-Giants game. And typically when these two teams meet, you can throw the records out the window. But for this one, I think you can, well, we can probably just snooze past it. Nick, you excited for this Pats-Giants game? Uh, I'm sure it'll be fine. I mean, there's some guys. There's some guys playing, I guess. I mean, there's going to be Giants out there, at least by name of the team. Eh, You know, it's another game. Uh, Are you saying that because they're all bigger than us? Uh, their names are on the helmet. Well, they used to be. Now it's an MY. I don't know. I mean, they're called the Giants. I don't know if they're really Giants right now, but I mean, I don't know. There's some guys, like I said, some guys are going to play. None of the ones that people have probably heard of, but some guys will play. You know what draws in listeners? Bad dad jokes <laughs> less than a minute into the podcast. Uh, yeah, this game, oh man, it could have been so fun. I love the fact that the Giants made the early season switch to Daniel Jones, and I think he gave them a spark. It was probably, I mean, almost unquestionably the right call to make. And we saw how the Giants played for a couple weeks with him. Uh, They're obviously limited severely on defense. And now without having Saquon Barkley, uh, Sterling Shepard, and Evan Ingram, who have all officially been ruled out, plus the, the backup running back, Gallman, I mean, this just and you've got a rookie quarterback on a short week going into Gillette Stadium against this defense. I mean, the Patriots, they're they're probably going to be a little banged up as well because they're coming off two physical road games. But I mean, there's no reason the Patriots shouldn't win this thing by at least three touchdowns and, you know, maybe even 30 something points. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even trying to be funny here. Like, I think, like, the Patriots' backup defense could probably beat the Giants' starters with what they're rolling out there this week, and maybe on any other week. And, you know, they, they play 20 guys, so that's really not saying too much. The 20th guy on the team, Elandon Roberts, has played 74 snaps. So, I mean, their backups are, are playing a ton anyhow and contributing. But, like, this game's going to be really, really weird. Uh, you know, I'm with you. I love the, the Daniel Jones story, the fact that, Everybody kind of doubted him and treated him as a joke. And he's coming out here and kind of, you know, throwing up the bird to everybody week after week with, with how well he's played is, has been, you know, kind of one of the more enjoyable things of, of the season. And, you know, you can't help but kind of, you know, appreciate a guy that, that's been doubted stepping up like that. But, you know, I, I'm going to go ahead and continue to doubt them this week and think, you know, the Patriots keep on rolling the way that they've been rolling. You know, this was kind of a game I was looking at a little bit to, to, see a test for the Patriots defense, you know, Barkley, Ingram, they have some guys that, that, you know, could at least stress little areas of the defense overall. I think the Patriots still would have performed very well against those guys, but at least it would have been more than, than what we've seen in, in the other weeks of the season to this point. But now it's, it's just kind of 
another one of these weird games where it's like this super elongated preseason and as well as this team's playing, like I'm really, really like getting ready to see somebody that can at least challenge them a little bit. And I don't think we've seen that yet. Yeah, it's almost certainly not going to happen Thursday night either. Although the weather, the weather element could come into play. It could make some some strange things happen. But in order for the Giants or any of these subpar teams, you know, the ones that we saw recently, the ones that will come shortly thereafter, you need some really crazy stuff to happen. You know, you need a you don't just need one Steven Sims 65 yard end around when six guys either get blocked out of the play or miss a tackle. I mean, you need that to happen like three or four times. And you don't need just one Tom Brady red zone interception. You need three or four of them, especially at home, especially on a Thursday night. I mean, I saw a stat recently or this week. I think Tom Brady is 14-0 and against – or Belichick is 14-0. and One of those might have happened in 08 uh, against rookie quarterbacks at Gillette Stadium since 2001. So that just shows you the type of test – it's just, I mean, there's a million stats and records like that that get thrown out or thrown around when a rookie quarterback is going to face the Patriots. Uh, so, look, I, I, this is a another sort of lethargic matchup. And you mentioned, I, I just kind of want to cherry pick here. You mentioned Landon Roberts. He's the guy who has the 20th most snaps on the defense right now. He's also a captain, and he's playing well. So that just shows you how deep they are. At linebacker, I mean, this isn't anything new that we're uncovering here, but uh, we know the stars, the top three guys, Kyle Van Noy, Dante Hightower, Jamie Collins, in whatever order you choose, or quite frankly, on any given week, it could be one, two, three, uh, based on the performance. Kyle Van Noy, two weeks ago, defensive player of the week in the AFC. Dante Hightower had an outstanding game on Sunday. Jamie he should have got it this week. The, the, what's that? I said he should have got it this week, too. I, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. He yeah, should, you're he right. Have, yeah, his stats were literally yeah. twice as good as the AFC Defensive Player of the Week. I mean, it's it's crazy. They basically, I don't know who votes for these things, and I know you used to actually get a, a certificate in the mail that you, you could hang on your refrigerator and show your family that you played a good football <laughs> game. You don't even get that anymore. You basically just get to, if you want to screenshot the tweet and print that out, that's the only thing that shows that you are a defensive player or any type of player of the week. But you look at... Uh, just how deep that, I mean, Juwan Bentley makes that great play in the fourth quarter to snuff out the screen pass for a three-yard loss. And then the fifth guy in the pecking order is the captain. So uh, it was an interesting captaincy pick at, that we all looked at. But, I mean, Alandon Roberts, his career over the last year has really taken off. And I was critical of Alandon Roberts at the start of his career. Uh, and last year, I thought he really started to become a lot more consistent and... You know, they love him in the locker room. So it's just, I mean, the amount of depth they have is absurd. I had myself convinced that they were going to trade Roberts, and it led to me having, like, the most awkward interview that I've ever had in my career. And, you know, when you walk up to a guy that, that ends up being the captain and you're asking him if he's, like, worried about his spot on the team, it's a little weird. But, I mean, look, it's just the depth there leads you to that. And then the talent, we saw him trade off, you know, Keon Cross. And so I don't think it was – a major stretch to think that somebody from that that linebacker spot could have been traded away, but obviously they they think so much more of him than just what he puts out on the field. Him being a captain shows what he means to that locker room and everything. But just kind of shifting gears here too, so we can just kind of punch out like one of the stupidest talking points that I, I've seen. And wait, I hold think on, probably hold on. I think I know what you're going to get at. So let me. Can I just interrupt you real quick before you do that? Because I have an interesting I, point that I kind of want to make. Uh, 
I asked kind of politely, but more procedurally because I was going to interrupt you and talk about this anyway. But, you know, you mentioned that wasn't like anything against the Landon Roberts. That was no. uh, strictly about numbers. And they had uh, the Patriots had a league high four players claimed off waivers during those Labor Day cuts. Uh, think about the guys that they put on IR. Uh, I can't I don't have that number on top on the off the top of my head. Uh, but then you've got Demarius Thomas, who was also a cut, but quickly re-signed. Brian Hoyer, who was a cut, and they wanted to re-sign before the Colts gave him a boatload of money. So you got the four waiver wire claims, and you got the two veterans who are cut and then added to a, a different team or the same t- whatever. You know what I'm talking about. That's 59 NFL players right there, plus you know guys like James Devlin or Nikhil Harry, who was eventually put on IR. So you're talking about this this roster having. In the summer, 60-plus legitimate NFL players on it. So when you ask a guy about getting cut, this wasn't, you know, this was never necessarily a knock on that player as much as it was just an ode to how impressively talented and deep this roster was. So I just wanted to at least throw that out there while the thought crossed my mind. Now, you hit your point, which I, I'm, I can almost guarantee I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and look, I wasn't even thinking that he was going to get cut. I thought he might get traded, but uh, yeah. Th- right, right. So, so like we're at a place now where Antonio Brown can go on Instagram and say the Patriots should just pick him back up and play him because they have to pay him anyhow. And somehow that leads to everybody talking about like the Patriots are going to just be like, oh, well, that's a really good thought by Antonio Brown. Let's put him back on this team and let him play because they might lose this grievance. Like cutting him was never about the money. Like it was, it was about the character of the person. So they cut him knowing they might have to pay this money. I, I don't know. Like maybe I'm I'm wrong here, but like this talking point today, like it just had me slap in my head. Just it's like so dumb. Like, how, <laughs> oh, Antonio Brown said this, so like this is gonna happen? No, it's not gonna happen. He would be a he'd be a tremendous debater, I guess, because the way he spun that has a lot of people uh, again contorting their brains into oh that is a good point. They're paying him. They're, they might lose the grievance. They might as well put him on the field. No, you're right. You're 100% right. And it's driven me crazy, too, because I tweeted that uh, based on everything I heard the day that they released Antonio Brown, there is absolutely no chance in hell that the Patriots are going to bring him back. And it would require an, a heel turn organizationally, unlike one I have ever seen before in my entire life. And... It's just, it's totally unrealistic to, like you said, the Patriots weren't just like, didn't go through this whole process, didn't, you know, get rid of him and and not cut the check and knowing what grievance would come and, and all of the other stuff that Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft spoke about on the phone before officially unifying in their decision to release him and then just let a few weeks go by and be like, you know what? I never thought about it that way. You know, Antonio makes a good point. (laughs) <laughs> this is, uh, it's, there was one mention in particular, and it's just, it's so frustrating to read some of the comments that people have. And I understand that legally he deserves his day in court and the, and the case and all that stuff, but that doesn't mean that you discard or, or discount what the accuser is saying. And we're not going to, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because You know, this is it's an extremely serious and sensitive subject that deserves more than a 20 or 30 minute podcast. But there was one comment in particular that 
and this is again i'm not doing this to say oh this person speaks for all patriots fans because that's obviously not the case and it would be insulting to uh, our smart listeners and readers and it would be it, insulting to the vast majority of level-headed fans that you know we we cover the team for but there was it was questioning the organizational management structure and i was just like i'm looking at this and i'm like wait antonio brown of all people has you this one person this anonymous twitter person saying i don't think bill belichick Nick Casario and Robert Kraft are good at their jobs because they got rid of Antonio Brown. And it got me to thinking more. And I kind of wanted to, I'm glad you brought it up because I, I mean, this is something we clearly had to cover today, but it got me thinking. Let's, let's throw the sideshow part of Antonio Brown out the window here. And let's just say, is there, so basically this person wants Kraft to sell the team and he wants whoever to buy it to fire Bill Belichick and Nick Casario and start over because of Antonio Brown. That's that's generally the message here. So is there any one person in the NFL that you would say, I would trade Kraft, Belichick, and Casario for? And then, you, I mean, th- there isn't. Like, <laughs> maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm the crazy one here. But like Patrick Mahomes is, I, I would say, if you're going to start uh, a franchise around any one player in the league, at, at it, with everything that comes with it, you still wouldn't, I mean, it'd be Patrick Mahomes, and you still wouldn't trade that power structure for Mahomes. You should not be questioning the decision-making abilities of Kraft, Belichick, and then Casario to over Antonio Brown. Let's stop the madness. Yeah, look, I mean, a couple points here. Patrick Chung, like, I was talking about a story yesterday, and one of the things he said, and it's kind of speaking to your point, is that you can bring literally anybody off the street here and they'll become maximized in their, in their ability very, very quickly in, in the Patriot system. And that's that trio right there in, in their ability to locate players who fit and coach them up and get the most out of them and typically get them to buy in. But look, I don't think the mistake was cutting Antonio Brown. The mistake, actually, if we're going to say there was a mistake and it wasn't worth the risk and there was a letdown somewhere... That was bringing him in hours after he got cut after this circus in Oakland. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, every now and then you take these risks and one of them is going to backfire. And I don't think it's a, it's a huge deal. And I'm not calling it a mistake in the sense that like they should be, you know, finger wagged or anything like that. But it was a mistake in the cut of him. You know, they admitted that mistake very quickly. But if you want to say there was a mistake, they should have done their homework. You know, this case is out there. They didn't bring him in and meet with him and look him in the eye after all this crazy stuff happened out there. And I think most people, when that signing came down, kind of, you know, sat back and looked at it and thought, you know, immediately something crazy was going to happen. Now, you couldn't have expected these allegations, but, you know, and, and you couldn't have expected the SI story to come out and all those circumstances. But the one thing you could expect is that he was going to say or do something stupid that was going to cause an uproar. And he did that very, very quickly. And, you know, that's not a surprise. And they got it wrong. They admitted it. They aren't going to turn around and double down on that mistake because there is going to be another episode. And you can't bring this guy back after he's on Twitter, you know, just trashing your owner and everybody else a couple days after getting cut. What does that say to everybody else? You know, like... Belichick runs this program where people buy in and, you know, 
the the control and the mental toughness and all that is a very very big part about being able to bring people in off the street and maximize them you know regardless of their talent level and if you start sacrificing that and, and bending over backwards for a guy that's very obviously a huge problem that's how your locker room fractures you know i i thought there was some, some stuff right away you know some of the comments from some of the players and, you know, everybody knows what this atmosphere is like and how controlled it is. And, and you know, there there was a little bit of hinting and undertones in some of the early comments from some of the players about Brown being there in the first place. But they were willing to set that aside and give him a chance. But now, after everything that happened, if you brought him back, I, I could see that being the kind of thing. And I don't care how good they are, it, it, you know, building a program. that That is something that I could see, like, really, really rocking the... Uh, you know, the structure of, of the team and, and possibly causing huge problems. Yeah, look, there were some people, and we've covered this, this isn't really nothing that we're bringing to you, the listeners today, is anything that we haven't already put out there. You know, we're not we're not running a smear campaign by any stretch of the imagination, but there were some people on the team who were genuinely happy when the Patriots <laughs> cut Antonio Brown. There were some who truly just didn't care. Now, I know... There was a report, I think, from NFL Network, although I, I shouldn't say that without knowing for sure, that, I mean, there were some people who were unhappy that Antonio Brown was released. And look, maybe there were. Those aren't anybody I've spoken to, but it's impossible to get the opinions or the, the truthful opinions from all 53 guys on the active roster in the immediate fallout of such a controversial and, and potentially divisive story. So look, let's put some merit to that. There probably were some people who weren't happy uh, just because, you know, sometimes you got to, if you're a football player, you, you separate the football from the personal stuff. And I understand that. And I think that comes with, uh, even though if you don't necessarily agree with somebody's opinion, you at least can try to understand it. So all of that is, it's, yeah, like you said, if they brought, Brown back. Let's discounting the last ten minutes that we've discussed. Like you said, there there would be a lot of players on that in that locker room who would be like beside themselves. They would be very very confused, and that would be a strange message to send to the locker room. So let's let's uh let's go in a slightly different direction here. In that the trade deadline is about three, just a little less than three weeks away. And the Patriots are active and they're still looking at receivers. And we know or we believe that there are at least a few who are out there. And look, they're interested in adding one if the price is right. And is there anybody, in your opinion, that you think is worth trying to acquire? Uh, and is, you know, is there anybody worth taking that that first round pick type of swing for? Or are you looking for more of a budgetary type of hire if you can get it? Do you think first round pick would even be like the cost for like an AJ Green, like a a player like of that it better stature not be for AJ Green? Yeah, I, I mean, think, it, who, honestly, if you're talking first round pick, it I, I still think that's an absurdly an extremely high price to pay. But if you're going first round pick, it better be for Stephon Diggs. Do you think he'd even be a first round pick? I mean, just some of the deals He's made in good. recent years. That some of the yeah, I know, but some of the deals made in recent years at the deadline have been a little bit lower than that. So I don't even. He he would probably be someone that I would strongly consider. You know, a first. I, I would probably try to push him down to a second. I guess the Patriots' first is basically a second. So 
maybe that's that's the difference right there. You know, I, I don't know if I'd give up like a top 15 pick, but if we're talking 30, 31, 32, and if you're making that trade, you're kind of, <laughs> you know, if they if they can get a Stefan Diggs, you're probably very likely going to be 32 again. I think that might be the one area where you're looking at it a little bit weird in thinking that, you know, that there is something that, that could be done. I still kind of like want to wait and see a little bit. I, I don't know if, you know, Josh Gordon's at the height of his powers right now. Like, is this the player he's going to be all year? And if he is, you know, 60 catches, 900 yards, that's a, still a very, very good season. But it's not like, you know, the name flashing in the lights like you kind of expected from from Josh Gordon, maybe a little bit more than than that. So in Edelman still hurt. So, I mean, there are things on the offense as bad as it looks right now. I still think there's room for improvement, but it's very, very clear that they could use another wide receiver. So yeah, if you could get digs, I probably would give up the first round pick just because I, I think that that would probably deliver you to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And you know, you got to wonder if there if Diggs becomes available. And I know there are reports and, and the Vikings are saying that he's not available. And I think you take everything with a grain of salt uh, going into the trade deadline, especially with a team like Minnesota that is legitimately good and has some playoff aspirations. And I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender as long as they have Kirk Cousins as their starting quarterback. But their defense is traditionally good enough to win you some games. And you know, they, they can put up some numbers. I mean, Dalvin Cook is having a, it seems like he has really recovered well from the torn ACL. And Diggs and Thielen are, are a tremendous one-two punch. So I think if if Minnesota is going to make him available, they're probably going to have to sit there and say, you know, they just gave him a, a new contract as well. So they're going to have to be convinced that, you know, they're going to want to give him up as opposed, unless, you know, Diggs is doing some stuff behind the scenes that, makes them believe that he is truly genuinely unhappy and is going to make this worse for them uh, which would be a troubling a buyer's beware type of situation anyway but uh, I mean that's I think his game fits their system I know they like him and he's a guy that you know if you're going if you're going big you, you got to go for digs which sounds like a corny politician type of line but um you got AJ Green, I mean, I think the injuries, uh, he's missed some time in some big games over his career. Yeah, he'd be like Part a third of me wonders. Man. Yeah, right. Yeah, if you can get him for a three, then I think you, you'd strongly consider it. But uh, you know what? Part of me also wonders, it, has being in Cincinnati for all these years just beaten him down to the point where he's like, you know what? I'm hurt. Screw these guys. I'm just going to I'm gonna rest up and make sure I feel good in the offseason. Well, I think he needs a new contract, too. I don't know if it's this season or next season, but I, I think he's near the end of his deal. So, like, if I'm him, I'm sitting Final out year, until... Yeah. yeah, I'm sitting out until I'm more than 100%, like, totally comfortable. There's no there's no benefit in him going out and playing right now and putting out anything less than what he believes is, is his best possible tape because it's just going to, you know, that it could just undermine his value. And I think, you know... It, if he didn't play the whole year, like people kind of know what they would give him. But if he goes out and plays bad, he loses a little bit of leverage. Uh, you know, I kind of wanted to make the comparison to, to Golden Tate, but, you know, he he was nearing the end of his contract last year. So that makes him different than than Diggs, you know, since he does have that new deal. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to go after a guy and you're going to give up a pick, I, I you know, if you can get Diggs, <laughs> 
that's definitely the move you got to make. He's a piece too that you would have around for a while and kind of build around them. I think, you know, some of these other guys that could be available are kind of, you know, rentals and that's fine. If you can, if you can rent a guy and he helps you get there, you know, more power to you. And the other thing that kind of would make me comfortable if I were the Patriots in making this trade, if one were to uh, become available is just, you saw how quickly they were able to put together a package of plays for Antonio Brown. And he was able to go out there and contribute, you know, right away. So I think if you got a guy and you kind of built on that throughout the season by the playoffs, you probably have him going full bore and it's, it's really not an issue. Um, So, you know, as long as the player they get has some level of, you know, intelligence and ability to, you know, pick up stuff and, and digest the playbook, I think they can pare it down and figure out a way to get that guy, you know, up and running kind of right away. So if something does become available, I think they do got to do it. And I guess my question to you would be, do you think that the release of Ben Watson clearing up that $2 million in cap space could be related to maybe at least having some flexibility to make a move here? Or do you think that there's there's something else? I would push that a bit down the list. I think, number one, they identified Watson as a guy who just, quite frankly, doesn't have it as much anymore. And I think we saw him see start to fade a little more as August wore on. And then the concussion was extremely difficult. And I think there are still some lingering effects from that concussion. And I think the Patriots recognize both of those factors as saying that, you know what? It's, it's just not it's not meant to be right now. And then I think you push it down to when, when you look at the contract or the cap hit, you say, A, is he going to be worth the $2 million cap hit? Is the production going to measure up to the $2 million cap hit? And then B, what's, what's a better use of that $2 million? Is it trying to get, trying to fit a square peg into a round hole when you talk about production meeting the financial value, or is it better to use that for somebody else like the trade acquisitions that we've discussed, or maybe even somebody cheaper like Emmanuel Sanders or potentially Mohamed Sanu that you could bring in? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I like Sanu a lot too. So he, he was somebody actually kind of floated out there as a, as a possible, you know, if they were to make a trade at some point before the season, he, he was somebody that I thought would have been a very good fit for this team. And then, you know, with the way Atlanta's kind of going, you know, they, they could possibly look to get rid of a couple guys. So uh, you got anything else that, that you're looking for? They've been linked or? to Sanu a couple times in the past. I mean, when he was when he joined the Falcons, uh, the Patriots were off the top of my head. I believe they were at least set to host him for a visit. And I don't remember if it was that he came to New England and then went to Atlanta or if he had a scheduled visit and Atlanta just didn't let him go out the door because they signed him right away. So what are you what are you watching for Thursday night? Well, uh, I guess the rain. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. It's watch to see how the defense plays. They're probably going to dominate this rookie quarterback. Uh, and then you see, I mean, it's they're so banged up, especially at receiver and offensive line. You know, I, I don't think that Tom Brady is going to come out and have like this excellent game or anything like that but I, I could see him putting up some numbers but not being as efficient if you know what I mean especially then you look at the weather elements too so 
I mean, shoot, even looking at all that, let's build off that real quick. Um, you talk about bringing in a receiver, and you mentioned Edelman. I mean, he was clutching at his ribs after a drop. I think it was in the second quarter on Sunday against the Redskins. This is a, a situation where, and it had me think, I don't have any direct knowledge of Edelman's rib injury because or chest injury, if you want to call it. That's what they're calling it because they've been really trying to keep this one close to the vest. But let's say best case scenario, he's dealing with some strained cartilage, which still sucks, still isn't fun, but is an injury that is going to take two to three months to heal without any contact. So Edelman more than likely is going to have this rib injury follow him for the rest of the season. Is it manageable or is it going to be manageable for a guy who is uh, basically extraordinarily tough? Yeah, I mean, so far Edelman has made it look that way, but that doesn't mean he's not going to be. You know, that doesn't mean he's going to be comfortable all of a sudden at some point just because they give him a week or two off, or that he comes back from the bye week or a bye week in the playoffs or anything like that. I mean, this is going to be one of those things that I, I would assume uh, is going to follow him. You, you've got Gordon, who's been a little banged up the last couple of weeks. Philip Dorsett has a hamstring injury, seems more than likely set to miss the Thursday night game against the Giants, and we'll see how long. Uh, after that so you need receivers or you probably are going to need a receiver at some point and then the offensive line I mean the other guy that we haven't mentioned is Trent Williams and this might be a long shot because the Redskins have screwed this one up so badly it's it's borderline embarrassing and I think the Patriots I know the Patriots are pissed off that there was a leak uh, to say that the Patriots offered a first round pick for Williams and the Redskins rebuffed it I mean that wasn't accurate from what I understand So the Patriots aren't going to go just give up a one for a guy like Trent Williams. And we look at the the change in in coaching down there. I don't think it was Jay Gruden saying they're not going to trade Trent Williams. I mean, it it starts from the top. So that's a strange situation, too. But look, if he becomes available, I still don't think you turn it down just because you're closer to Isaiah Wynn coming back. And uh, you and I think very highly of Isaiah Wynn. And but look, the guys played a game and a series before getting injured yet again. So if you can get an extra tackle that you feel comfortable with or you think is an upgrade over Marshall Newhouse, that's another option to consider. But this is sort of all backed into by, you know, looking at Thursday night and you talk about a banged up team on a short week. You know, I would expect some some sloppiness at Gillette. Yeah, and look, the thing, we're talking about uh, him being banged up. Edelman, I mean, he sold eight for one time with a touchdown. You know, like as a banged up guy, like that's how tough he is. That's it's crazy that he's he's able to play at the the level he's playing at through this level of pain. And he, you know, he's he's taking hits. Like he, you know, it's not like he he's 100 percent protecting himself on every play. Like the, it's insane that that he's able to go out there and play through that level of pain. You know, I I guess for me too. You know, one of the things that that I will be looking for, and you know, we all covered this after the game, is that we did see signs of life from the running game for the first time probably. I don't want to say all season because there have been little glimmers, but that second half was the best sustained period that we've seen the whole season. And I do think that, you know, with some issues on offense at wide receiver, you know, tight end being what it is, if they get that going, that kind of does take at least a little bit of pressure off of everything. And then maybe you can open up some more things in the passing game off play action, even though I thought they had their play action attack going pretty well last week, despite not being able to run the ball in the first half of that game. So, I mean, there are still, you know, issues to monitor throughout, but when you have a defense this good, like (laughs) 
like I don't know. Like it's insane that it's just how they're just killing teams every single week. And again, keep the, the level of competition in mind, but the level of play is so incredible that it, it seems like you can get away with having a couple issues on offense with how well the defense or you know the boogeyman is is. You, Hightower said last week, and you wrote in the, the great story about the linebackers, you know, if those guys are out there swarming the way they're swarming, and I don't think that's going to stop, you know, at least at least keep the offensive issues in context in that they can probably get away with having a couple issues. But there is the threat of a couple of things, I think, fraying just a little, just enough to where maybe it does become, you know, a bigger issue. And this team's smart enough to know the stuff. And I, I think they probably do better than any other team in the league and quickly identifying a, the issue B the resolution and see if they can get the resolution. If they can't, they always go out and make a move and address those things. They aren't letting a lot of stuff linger in, you know, I think they already showed us once this year that, that there are those issues with wide receiver. They went and got Antonio Brown. That didn't work out. You're back to where you were before that maybe even in a worse position because you don't have, you know, Cam Meredith is, is a possibility anymore. And, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised at all if they do end up making a move. I, I, I kind of almost expect them to make a move if, but, you know, obviously the right thing has to materialize. Right. I agree. I, I'd be surprised if they didn't, but there's also the caveat that, you know, teams could know that the Patriots are trying to make themselves better. Yep. And how willing are these teams going to be to accommodate that type of venture and do you really want to be the team that allows the Patriots to get over the hump and you know what's the asking price and so on and so forth yeah it's a good night for for them to get the running game going and I think as long as the offense or I mean look as long as the defense doesn't make any tackling mistakes like we saw that one time against the Redskins or the offense doesn't turn it over deep in their own territory or Gunner doesn't you know muff a punt or there's no major special teams breakdowns I mean organically it i don't expect the giants to generate 10 points so if tom brady can go out there and get to 10 i think we can all start writing our stories i don't even know what the spread is for this game but like i feel like i'm just gonna like until they play the the ravens like i'm just gonna start looking at things in terms of the spread and like that's how i'm gonna keep myself interested in these games like the browns i'm not even looking at them as anything anymore you know i think they're gonna they're gonna do a number on baker uh so I don't know. I guess I guess that's how I'm looking at it. They are. I don't know what the spread is. I'm trying to find it real quick, but I'm guessing it's a lot, and they'll probably they'll probably cover again, or they'll probably they'll probably beat the spread again. So, uh, I don't know. It's Thursday night football with nobody on the Giants. And if we're right about any spread advice, please send a portion of your winnings to Nick and myself. If we're wrong, well, you were fools for listening to us. Uh, Nick, you got anything else? It's 17. The spread is 17. Yeah. I mean, that's no problem. Yeah. Do the right thing. Win yourself some money. Yeah. I mean, 34. Then extend your athletic subscription. <laughs> 34 10. That, that's what I go with. 34 10. You think they're. You, <laughs> you, oh, man. I'm not even trying to, like. You think they're going to score 10 points? Probably not. But, I mean, like, my problem with the Patriots, like, through this early por- portion of the season is that, like, I try to talk about them like in realistic terms and like in a realistic game like 34 10 is absurd but like the defense isn't like a realistic defense right now they're you know statistically and I've seen like a million different ways to measure this playing like the best defense in the history of the NFL now I don't know like you know at the end of the season that's probably not 
going to be the case, but they're going to be one of the top two or three in the league, I think, probably by every measure. And against these bum teams, and you're taking them out. Yeah, they probably aren't going to score 10 points, but like maybe like I'm just going to I'm just going to say 10 because like saying three is ridiculous. Like who predicts three points? Like you put that in there. It's like absurd. But like if you said 34 to three, it's probably more realistic than 34 to 10. Like, but I just I can't do it. I'll go with three. (laughs) It's like it's like playing Madden on, you know, pro mode or whatever. You just like they don't even give up garbage time points. That's what's crazy. Everybody scores garbage time points. You can't even do that against the Patriots. Right. That that's what I was telling somebody the other day. They're so, like, oh well, well they're they're playing all these garbage teams. Like, how can you actually say it? And it's like, just go actually watch them. Like, I've seen plenty of very good teams play very bad teams, and it does not look like this. There's a point where people check out, or it's you know, it's a thirty-four to ten game. Most most good teams give up some points, but like the Patriots aren't giving those up except for one play where everybody named McCourty forgot how to tackle, which is very weird and is probably never going to happen again. And like you said, the dude gets off on, on an absurd touchdown. And that's, that's the kind of stuff that has to happen, but it's happened one time. And what, you know, I don't know how many drives they've been on, but one time out of X amount of drives, that's insane. Like you're right. They don't give up anything there. There isn't the late, you know, final minute, you know, drive against prevent defense no like they're still like getting pressure and sacking and and shutting everybody down and and everybody's you know all the way in through throughout the whole entire game and it is a different level of domination it's not regular good team versus bad team like this is like a special period of of domination regardless of the level of competition well then you think about the era too I mean, this is this is when offenses are supposed to flourish. The rules are are helping these teams flourish. So when you compare, and we'll again, we'll see if it it carries out for the full sixteen games. But they're at such an, a crazy pace right now that uh, they are on pace to allow the fewest points in NFL history, and at, for a sixteen game season. And I, I think at last check, even for a fourteen game season. I mean, they're they're better than what we saw out of the 13 Seahawks. They're better than the 2000 Ravens. It's just, it's uh, I mean, it's it's wild how good they've been, and it's at an historic level. So, with uh, with all that in mind, I mean, the two touchdowns that the defense has allowed. One was on the 65 yarder when. More than half the defense either got blocked out of the play or couldn't make the tackle. And then the other was, and it was on a genuinely good drive by the Bills uh, to start out the second half. But you look at the touchdown. I mean, Josh Allen was literally one inch away from fumbling that ball on fourth down and giving the ball right back to the Patriots. So the two touchdowns they've given up, one was on a a fluky 65-yard play, and the other was on a play that was one inch away from actually becoming a turnover. So that's... And that's the measure they're at. So I think I think we've had to have exhausted all of our talking points here. So I think I'm just going to wrap this thing up. This has been the Razor Show, the Jeff and Nick edition. Enjoy the game on Thursday night. We'll hit you back next week. <laughs>